Good afternoon. Good to see you all here, you who are here. And those who are not here, they will miss something great. Um, we are continuing what we normally do during the conference. We have two sets of biographical sketches. Daniel did his on John Calvin. It was very good. And uh, I will also do one. I will do one on George Miller. George Miller, you might have heard that name before. And if you haven't, well, I'm going to talk about him. So now you will know who he is. And we do these things because we, we uh, want to remember those who went before us. We want to look on their lives, look on their examples, see how God works through people in time and he, how he does it with sinners. We remember what Justin has been, been uh, teaching on, the glory of God. And it's the glory of God alone. It's not the glory of men. It's not the glory of John Calvin or the glory of George Miller or the glory of any other of the great, great Christians. I don't really want to call them great because there is only one great and that's God. We are sinners. John Calvin was a sinner. George Miller was a sinner. We are all sinners saved by grace. But God works mightily through sinners. He uses people like you and me to do mighty things. So, for this afternoon, let's uh, have a look at the life of George Miller. George Miller, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Let's begin with the Word of God. The, the, the book of Psalms, Psalm 37, verse 4. And while you turn there, let me just remind you that uh, we, don't, we, we do these things, and it's not really a sermon, it's not an exposition, it's, it's merely a, a biography. But we still remember what they did. We, we still look to their examples. And, and one of the verses that was influential for George Muller, his life verse, I don't like that expression, but it's, it's appropriate to use here because it really was his life, is this verse right here, Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That was George Miller's life, at least after conversion. So, George Miller, who was he? When was he born? What did he do? He was born on September 27, 1805, in Kropenstedt, in Prussia. That's Prussia with a P, not Russia where Putin is, but Prussia, Prussia. He's, uh, he grew up uh, in, a, in a family where his father was a collector of taxes, so he lived out in, in relative prosperity. He never lacked funds. His father provided for him. He saw it as his uh, way of raising his sons. He had a brother. George Miller had a brother. His, so the two sons of Father Miller... Uh, were provided for. They had money. They had plenty of money. And uh, this, of course, quickly led to uh, George Miller starting to love money. He fell into the sin of love for money. He loved to have it. He loved to spend it. He was not righteous. He was not saintly at all. He was more like a devil. A Prussian playboy, he was called by one of, my, one of his biographers. He, he, uh, he used the money his father gave him to spend it on, on pleasures. He went to, uh, to uh, the uh, taverns, to the alehouses. He drank with his friends. He played cards. He gambled. And when he ran out of money, he started stealing, lying, cheating, defrauding. He was not a saint. 
He was very much a sinner, very much deserving the wrath of God. He even stole government money. The the money that his father was entrusted to handle, government money, taxes, he stole them. He was, once his father tested him, he, he invited him into his office where he had some money on his table, and then he left the office, and George was alone there in the room with that money on the table. And of course, he could not, he could not resist that temptation. So he, he took a little bit of it and hid it in his socks. He thought, ha-ha, he will never find out. Well, it was a trap. His father came back and realized money is missing. George, where is the money? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have it. So, what do you do then? You search. You searched him. He was forced to strip, and of course, he took off his socks, and there was the money. So, he was caught, and he was punished, beaten, as was the custom back in 1800s in Prussia. You beat the child, but that did nothing to change George Miller. He was still a sinner. He still loved his sin. He still loved money. He still loved stealing. He was a sinner. Early in his life, his mother died. He was only 14 at the time when his mother died. Uh, at the night when she was dying, she was lying in her, in her bed dying, George uh, was out partying with his friends. He missed the death of his mother because he loved to be out with his friends, partying, drinking, playing cards. Now, it was only the day after when he was hangover, he found out that his mother had died. And you think that such a shock would change you, such a shocking moment. Your own mother dies, your beloved mother dies, and you're not there. That would change you. But no, it did not change him. He knew what he did was wrong, but he lacked the gospel. He lacked biblical understanding, biblical teaching. He did not become a saint because he was experiencing something shocking. He lacked the gospel. And again, I said, he realized what he did was wrong. It was sinful to lie, to to cheat, to steal. He wasn't dumb. Most of us understand that. At least everybody here, I believe, understands that it's wrong. It's sinful to steal, to cheat, to lie. And he did too. So he he, uh, took resolutions to overcome his sinful habits. From now on, I will not steal. I will not lie. I will become a better person. Now we have all heard that before. I will become a better person. This new year I will not drink again. And then it happens after a short while. And why is that? Because the heart is not changed. It's still a sinful heart. There's still the love to sin. So all his resolutions, they all failed. They all came to naught. He was still a sinner. He still loved to steal, to cheat, to drink, to play cards. That was his life in his youth. Now, Mr. Miller, George Miller, that is, went to study theology, ironically, at uh, the university in Halle in Prussia. It wasn't his will, it wasn't by persuasion or by um, conviction. He he did go to university to study theology because becoming a priest, a Lutheran priest, was a well-paid job. It was actually the will of his father that he would become a priest so that he would have a well-paid job when his his father had to retire, he would be he would have his son having lots of money so he could provide for his father. So it was his father's will to, to study theology, to become a Lutheran priest. And he did. He did go and study. And he was a good student. He was. He really studied hard. He went, 
He, he rose early, went to bed early, he studied hard, he performed at the top of his class. He did well, and he read, he read many books. He had many books, but one book he did not have was the Bible. He did not have a Bible. He had not read the Bible. And he was a theology student who did not have a Bible. He did not have divine life. But his conversion would come in November 1825 when he he went with a fellow student to a, a, a meeting at a believer's house. Actually, he wasn't going there to, to hear the word or, or to, because he loved God. Of course not. He was a sinner. But he went there so he would have a good story that he would be able to tell to his friends at the tavern. He would tell about the, the stupid believers. Oh, can, you, can you believe this story? So he went there. He didn't know what to expect. And this meeting was, was just a few simple believers who gathered in a house, in a house where Mr. Wagner lived. He, he uh, hosted the meeting, and the meeting was very simple. They sang a, a hymn, just like we did, and then uh, a believer fell on his knees to pray and ask God for for blessing on the meeting. And the, the mere fact that he, that he prayed on his knees made an impression on George Miller. He was, he was used to standing up when praying, like, like we do. It's not wrong to stand by when you pray. Don't, don't get me wrong. You don't have to pray on your knees. But he was used to that. And when he saw this believer falling down on his knees and not... Not like taking a knee like they do in Black Lives Matter or any of that kind of matter, but, but on both of his knees, standing on his knees, an uncomfortable position, and praying to God. That made an impression on Mr. Miller. He saw the humility in the believer. He saw that he recognized the lordship. He recognized the sovereignty of God. And he wanted to emulate that. And then after the prayer, they read a uh, chapter from uh, the Bible. And then it was followed by the reading of a sermon. Because Prussia in 1800s, not that Prussia exists anymore, but back in 1800s in Prussia, it was, the, it was against the law to have a meeting where uh, Scripture was expounded, except, of course, there was an ordained clergyman present. So they had to read it. They had to get around that law by reading the sermon. And at the end of that, they sang another hymn, and then Mr. Wagner, who hosted the meeting, he closed in prayer. And this prayer, again, changed something in Miller. He, he realized that this man who was poor, illiterate, had never studied theology, he prayed so much better than Mr. Miller could pray. And he was the theology student. He should know something. He was much more educated. Still, he could not pray like that man. And he wanted to pray like that man. So after this meeting, Miller was a changed man. He had an inner peace, one he had never experienced before. He began to read the Bible. He began to uh, host prayer meetings with his fellow students. And not long after, he, he uh, felt the desire to go and work as a missionary. As a missionary. And this, of course, would mean that he would give, have to give up his his ambitions to become a Lutheran priest. And this was not very popular with his father, who had hoped that he would become this priest, so he would have a well-paid job, because being a missionary is not well-paid ever, anywhere, at least not if you're a biblical missionary. So his father was very angry. He opposed it. He called it nonsense. You can think about an angry Prussian voice there. Nonsense. 
or how they say it, with a German accent, of course. And uh, he threatened to cut off George financially. So far, he had been financially provided for by his father, but George did not want to change. He had his mind fixed, I am going to be a missionary father. And so his father cut him off. You're on your own. You do what you do, but you're on your own. You will not receive money from me anymore. So that set the stage for, for the rest of Miller's life of trust in God. For the first time, he had to trust in God to provide for him. There was no one who was paying for him. He did not receive money from home or anywhere else. He now had to trust in God. And uh, he, he was provided for. God did provide for him. He's, there were some uh, Americans who came to, to Germany or to Prussia, and they, they needed someone to teach them German. And uh, it was actually his, his teacher, Mr. Müller's teacher, who said that that boy, George, he is good with languages. Go ask him. Maybe he can teach you. And he could. He taught them German in, ex- in, in uh, exchange, of course, for money. So he did have a source of income then after that. The Lord provided him with an opportunity to earn money so he could support himself. That was the first time ever that George trusted God to provide for him. So he wanted to become a missionary, and he had his mind, his will set to become a missionary in Bucharest, in uh, Romania. But uh, that plan came to nothing because the Crimean War broke out and it raged and it was too dangerous to go as a missionary, so he was stopped from going to Bucharest. And instead he was offered an opportunity to go to, to Palestine or Israel, as we call it today. There was no state of Israel back then, but to Jerusalem, to work among the Jews, to be a missionary there. Uh, under the London Missionary Society. And he happily accepted, yes, I want to do that. But before he could, he had to go to London to study Hebrew under the London Missionary Society. And this was a problem because George Miller was a Prussian. And Prussian law dictated that all graduates, male graduates, had to serve one year in the army, in the military, and he had not done that. And uh, this meant, of course, that if he had to do his military service, his opportunity would be lost. They would give the, the spot to someone else. They would pass over him. So he prayed to God, please, God, deliver me from this service. Please let me go to London. And... Uh, he tried in many ways to be free from his service. He, he even had some of his, uh, his connections. His father was, a, again, a, a collector of taxes. So he had connections in, in government and in, among uh, important people. And they sent a letter to, even to the emperor himself asking that George would be delivered from uh, serving. But he said, no, I cannot, I cannot allow him to... to uh, be free from it, to be dismissed from it. So he went and had his medical examination, as all of you who have ever done military service or, or so, you would know you, you do your medical examination to see if you're fit enough to, to serve in the military. You need to have good physical condition. And uh, the doctor found out that he had a really bad health. His lungs were really poor. He he had a, a continual problem of breathing, and sometimes they, he had to go to other places for, for fresh air, as they did back then when had, they had problems with their lungs. They just went to another town where there was better air. That's how they treated it. And, and this meant, of course, that he could not serve in the military, so he was dismissed. His prayer was answered. He could go, and he left. He left Prussia for London in 
March 1829. But, of course, London in this time, if you know your history, was not a place that had good air. A lot of smog, a lot of coal burning. Every house was heated with coal or with wood, so a lot of smoke. Bad air. Didn't fit him at all. He had to, to travel into the country, into the countryside, to the southwest of England, to uh, Tainmouth and Exmouth, where he would uh, be among the brethren. Do you know the brethren movement, who are uh, also called as the Plymouth Brethren? They uh, originated in the 1820s under the teaching of John Nelson Darby, dispensationalism. You might have heard about that. So he was among the brethren there in, in uh, Tainmouth and Exmouth. And it was there that he started to realize that for him to truly serve his Lord, he, he could not serve under a society or an organization or, or any such thing. He needed to be free. He needed to only be under the Lord himself. He needed to be free. So his, uh, his work or his, his studies with uh, the London Missionary Society came to an end. He realized he could not work with them anymore. And uh, it wasn't uh, controversial or anything. It wasn't, didn't leave bad feelings. He was in love, in peace. He said, I cannot continue. I hope you understand. And so they, they dissolved their relation. And he was free to go and do what he wanted to do. And it was there in Tainmouth that he, he was first called to the pastorate, his first church that he pastored. And uh, it was in uh, yeah, Tainmouth, in Ebenezer Chapel, it was called. And one of the first things he noticed when he came there and he was called to the pastorate was that they had a system called uh, pew rents. Pew rents. And what is pew rents? It's, it's a system where you, you rent a pew, like you have a more significant row, one more at the front, you pay a little bit more to be able to sit there, and one at the back, one more insignificant row, would, you would pay less. So that, that was their system of, of supporting their pastor, supporting the one who was laboring among them. That was their way to get money. But George realized quickly that this is thoroughly unscriptural, thoroughly unbiblical. You could not do that. He uh, uh, argued with James 2 as his basis, which in part states, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring or dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit there, down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? He saw it was evil to make distinctions between rich and poor. To have those with lots of money in front having the best seat. And those poor people, they could sit there at the back, maybe behind a pillar or something. It had evil motives. So he, he abolished it. We cannot have this system. Instead, he said that he would ask only God to provide for him. He would go to no one else but to the Lord to seek provisions, to seek money and income. And he did. He did abolish the system and, and introduce the system of trusting only the Lord, of only asking him, not letting any person, any man know, not taking up collections, not making big appeals, but only asking God for money. And he did this. He wasn't alone when he did this. He had married, he had a wife, Mary Groves. He married in, in uh, 1829. So now he had two mouths to feed. But yet, of course, God provided. God was faithful. God saw his needs. God knew what he needed, and he provided. 
He gave exactly what he needed, and he gave at the exact, exact time when he needed it. It was never too late. It was always on time. It's quite remarkable when you read his, his autobiography or any biography of him, how it's always on time. God's provisions always seems to come when the need was the greatest. And uh, this was his life now. For the rest of his life, he would only ask God for provisions, for money, for any such things. He would never ask man directly. And it can even be noted that sometimes Miller was so, so reluctant to receive donations, to receive love offerings, that, he, that they had to come up with some kind of plan to give him the money. It's quite amusing, actually. He, they, the Millers went to visit a, a lady member of the church, and uh, that morning they had been praying for, for money. They had been asking God to send them something because they were down to the last pennies, and they were really really coming close to having nothing left. So they had asked God, and then they visit, visited this lady member of the church, and she, she said, do you need money? I want to give you something. Do you need it? And, uh, well, George Miller did not want to persuade the lady to give because of their need. He didn't want her to, to feel forced to do it, so he, he said that he would only let the Lord know when he needs provisions, when he needs money. But the lady did not give up. She, she came back. Well, but the Lord has told me twice that I should give you something. He has made it clear for me that you are in need. So Miller, again, did not want to make the circumstance influence her, so he changed the subject. He was like, okay, let's talk about something else. And uh, when they left... She, uh, she gave them a little bit of money, and it was just enough for them to continue. Also, at other times, he was, he was invited to preach in different locations in neighboring towns, and he was really reluctant to receive any donations. He, uh, he didn't want it to make, make the impression that he was preaching for money, he was coming in there and preaching, and it was his job. He, he did it because it was his duty and because he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord's people. He wanted to preach the Word to them, and he did not want money for it. So uh, uh, it said that a gentleman came up to him and wanted to give him something. Please accept my, my donation. And George was, no, 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 I don't take money. I don't take money when I preach. I don't do it for that sake. So the, money, uh, the man forced the money into his pocket and he ran away. Just like that. Quite a funny scene. And uh, another man, probably who, didn't, who wasn't so fast at running, but maybe strong, he, he uh, physically forced him. He struggled with Mr. Miller and forced him to take it. Like, take the money. So... Uh, they came up with plans, and others, maybe who wasn't so strong, wasn't so fast, they, they came up with the plan, but let's, let's smuggle the money. Let's, let's find out Mrs. Mueller's purse or her handbag, and let's put some money there, and they won't notice it before they're home. That's, that's, that's the joy we see when believers want to, to, to give, when they truly want to give a love offering. It's joyful to see. So, uh, but the Mullers had, had bigger needs now. There is, they uh, had a child, a daughter named Lydia, and also a son named Elijah, but unfortunately he died at only 15 months of age of pneumonia. And despite the loss, Miller did not lose his joy in the Lord Remember what we read in the beginning. Delight yourself in the Lord. Well, Miller delighted himself in the Lord. He wrote this concerning his, the loss of his son. 
When the Lord took from me a beloved infant, my soul was at peace, perfectly peace. I could only weep tears of joy when I did weep. And why? Because my soul led whole in faith on that word of such is the kingdom of heaven. Believing, therefore, as I did upon the ground of this word, my soul rejoiced instead of mourning that my beloved infant was far happier with the Lord than with me. He did not lose hope. Even when he lost the child, he was still joyful. He found the joy in that his son was now with the Lord. And now the family had moved to Bristol, where he would remain for the rest of his life, where he would do the most of his work. He uh, labored there with a fellow pastor, fellow laborer named Henry Craig from Scotland. So there was a German, a Prussian, and a Scotman in Bristol. Quite an interesting congregation with those two pastors He was a pastor at Bethesda and Gideon Chapel, and it was here that he again spent the most, the longest time of his life, and here that the orphan houses, which we will get to in just a moment, would be built, would be located. They are still there to this day. If you go to Bristol, you can still go and see these houses. They're not orphans there anymore, but they're still there, the actual buildings. But before we get to the, the orphan houses, we can see that, that Miller and Craig, they established uh, an institution called the Scriptural Knowledge Institution of Home and Abroad. And this institution, which also is still active to this day, uh, it was founded first to assist and establish day schools, Sunday schools, and adult schools in which scriptural teaching was given, and second, to distribute Bibles, and then third, to aid missionary work. And they would also, the, the work would also include distributing theological and godly books and tracts. Now, day schools, they, they, if you don't, you're not familiar with that, what that is, it's like a normal school, but again, with the expressed intent of having godly persons as teachers. They did not have teachers who were unbelievers. They did not have someone who taught the children who did not know God. And similarly, the Sunday school had only believers as teachers, which should be quite obvious. Why would you have a Sunday school with an unbeliever as a teacher? And uh, also the adult school was, uh, had the same requirement. All the teachers were godly men and women and they gave education to poorly educated adults. So this is, uh, institution that he established was established in 1834, and it would be very influential, giving many children Christian education. He said that during his lifetime, during Mr. Mueller's lifetime, over 10,000 children was in these schools. No, sorry, 100,000 children. I forgot a zero there. 100,000 children was in these schools that was established and were, were funded by the institution. And they circulated Bibles, over 2 million Bibles during Miller's life, or parts of the Bible. They supported missionaries. You who were here last year, you heard about uh, Hudson Taylor. Daniel spoke about Hudson Taylor and his China Inland Mission. And at one point, at an early point in uh, Hudson Taylor's mission, his, in his work, they were completely cut off. They had no support. They had no, no one who wanted to support them. They had a very troubling time. And so Miller and his institution stepped up to support the, the whole of the China Inland Mission. It was 21 missionaries and missionary families. The whole of the China Inland Mission was supported by the funds of the institution. And how again was this institution, how did they receive the funds? By the same principle 
that Miller himself lived only by going to the Lord in prayer, only letting the Lord know. They never had fundraising. They never took up collections. They never made big appeals, even though they very well could have. But they believed, or Mr. Muller in particular believed, that this is what honors God the most. This is what glorifies him the most, if to only ask of God. To not ask of any missionary society, not to ask of any wealthy Christians, but only God. Only God. He wanted to show that God is a living God. He's a God who provides. He's a God who cares. He's a God who knows the needs of his children. He trusted only God for all their expenses. And there were large expenses. Imagine supporting 21 missionaries and their families as well in a distant country. And all the money that you give to them has come in only by prayer. But by far the biggest work that Miller did, and we'll get back to that now, was of course the orphan houses, the orphanages in Bristol, which he's most known for. That work Miller started two years after he had founded the institution, the Scriptural Knowledge Institution. And uh, again, Miller didn't just do it because this sounds like something great. Let's do some, uh, some work for the children. Let's be, uh, what's it called, a philanthropist. He did it after serious contemplation, after much prayer. He wanted to be sure that this is God's plan. This is what he wants me to do. This is the way that God will glorify himself through George Miller, through these orphanages. Because, of course, this was a time when, when orphans were, had, had a very hard life. If they don't, did not have a wealthy a wealthy relative, someone who could provide for them, they were sent to the poorhouse, which wasn't a nice place at all. You were sent to do meaningless, hard tasks, like breaking stones or something like that. It was a very hard life. It was very unsanitary. So orphans often died or became criminals, lived on the streets. And Miller saw that. He understood that something needs to be done here. This is a need in Bristol, in UK. This is something I, I need to do, or that God has called me to do something about. There were only a few orphans, orphan houses, orphanages in UK at this time, and, and most of them, if not all of them, were, were funded by a subscription. You had to have a wealthy relative, again, who could, who could send money to the orphan house, and so you could stay there if you were an orphan. But Miller un- understood that most orphans do not have that. They do not have rel- relatives with lots of money. They are poor. They are without means. So, he started this, and he started on the principle that he would accept all orphans that were bereft of both parents, that could not provide, that or could not, did not have any income, did not have any relative that could provide for them. He wanted to reach the most destitute children. And this, of course, at the same time, he had the institution, which grew larger and larger and required more and more money to fund its operations. And uh, with, all, with all of that, so he had many responsibilities, but still his faith did not waver. He had his trust in God, a life of trust, a life of trust. He delighted himself in the Lord. 
and the Lord provided. He always provided. But again, it wasn't for philanthropic, philanthropic reasons that Miller started or wanted an orphan house. He wanted something, something visible for believers. He, he saw in his own congregation believers who, who uh, did not spend time in prayer, who neglected the Word, who de- neglected the time with God. And he wanted visible proof that God truly listens to prayer, that he provides, that he answers prayer. And I quote him now, he wanted something to point to, a visible proof that our God and Father is the same faithful God that he ever was, as willing as ever to prove himself the living God in our day as formerly to all who put their trust in him. To all who put their trust in him. So to set before the church, the body of Christ, before believers, and also before the world, a a visible proof that God answers prayer, this was his motive. That God has not the least changed from that which we read of in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that he always provides. He's the same God as 4,000 years ago when the... the, uh, the children of Israel went out from Egypt and, into, and, and, and wandered in the wilderness and they were provided for 40 years. He's the same God. He still provides. He still listens. Simply by prayer and faith can you obtain whatever you need. So, he considered it this visible proof best would be uh, an orphan house, and again, a house for the most destitute children, those who could not provide for themselves, so that there would be no argument, no evidence to show that surely they had rich relatives, or surely there came money from that source, but no, it all came from God. He provided. There was no one, no no source that provided, but only God. So if a poor man, such as Miller, he was a poor man, by the way, he did not have a lot of money, even though God provided, he did not provide in riches, as in that he lived a prosperous life. He was a poor man. So if such a poor man as Miller, simply by prayer and faith, could obtain without asking anyone, any individual, any institution, any missionary society or anything for means to carry out, to build and establish an orphan house, then there would be something which the Lord, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted, to the reality of the blessings of God. So, Muller put the idea to the test. He said, Lord, provide me with a thousand pounds and suitable workers, and I will start an orphan house. Sure enough, took a little bit of time, but sure enough, the Lord provided $1,000, not dollars, pounds, for the expressed purpose of establishing an orphan house and also suitable workers. And uh, the, the house opened, the first house opened in April 1836, and again, the it was intended to care for orphan girls to begin with, at the age of 7 to 12, and they had to be bereft of both parents. But it didn't stop there. Of course not. Mueller saw that there were more children needed to be cared for. So he opened a second house for baby girls and toddlers, and then a third house for boys. And again and again and again, God provided 
He provided money. He provided workers. He provided clothes, food. Go read the biographies of Mr. Miller. It's a stunning record of how God continues to provide, continually caring for the needs of his people. Was always on time. And never did Miller let the children know of the, the, uh, the needs. Sometimes they didn't even have breakfast for the next morning. They went to sleep and didn't even have breakfast. But always there was, in a way or another, they were provided for. The, the, the staff and Mr. Miller found that God always provided exactly at the time when they needed it. So in total, Mr. Miller opened five orphan houses on, on uh, Wilson Street. These were rented houses, and uh, this soon led to a problem. These houses were not intended to be orphanages. They were not intended to house 30, 40 orphans per house. They were intended for normal families, and this caused problems. It, caused, it, it, it led to much noise. The neighbors complained of the noise the children were making. They complained of the, uh, of the drainage. It would clog, clog up from the extensive use from all the, all the children. So Miller recognized this problem. He saw that this is not a good Christian witness to let the, the other people who live there suffer from the fact that he had established orphan houses there. So he started praying to God again. God, if it is your will, let me build an orphan house from, the, from scratch. Let me build one. Provide a location. Provide the funds. Provide the workers again to build a house for the orphans that would be located in an area that would be appropriate for it. They would have a playground. They would have fields where they, could, where they could grow vegetables and where they wouldn't disturb the peace of the neighbors. And sure enough, prayer after prayer was answered in a timely fashion. Always God provided the story of how he got the, the location where the orphan houses now stand. is quite fascinating. He had gone to, to visit the owner of the land, and uh, the owner was not home, so he went to work where he worked, and the owner was not at the work, so he went home, and he was like, okay, I understand, God, you don't want me to now ask for, to buy this, this location. And during that night, the owner could not sleep. He woke up, he could not sleep, he, he was troubled by the thought that he should sell his land to Mr. Miller. And uh, so uh, he sent for Mr. Miller to come to his house to discuss buying the property. And he did. He did buy it. But only after the owner had lowered the price. He was actually intending to take a higher price for it, a more market value price. But then he lowered it because he realized that this is what God wants to do. He wants the orphans to be here. So he lowered the price. Amazing story how, how God provides in different ways and different fashions for his people. So uh, now I lost myself. I, that was not in my notes, by the way. But, but yes, he built or he got the money. He he. he Calculated that it was required at least 10,000 pounds, which was a lot of money back then, to build an orphan house of 300 orphans. And of course, added to that was the, the uh, continual expenses of uh, keeping the house, of, of having it actually to just you know, repair, to uh, provide for everything there. But despite all this, despite the increased expenses, despite already having a successful 
uh, or five actually, five successful orphan houses, God provided the money to build a house. And again, don't think that was, this was just a life on, of, of no trials. Everything was just flowers and, and sunshine and rainbows. He had many trials. He had many hardships. England went through economic turmoil, just like we do a little bit, of, at least. We have inflation going on right now. England had it much more. Prices skyrocketed. Bad weather caused famine. People were starving. And Miller had to deal with doctrinal controversies within the Brethren movement. It caused his congregation to split. A big part of his church left because he uh, held to, to the biblical doctrines of Christ. His Christology caused... Actually, it wasn't his Christology which caused the controversy. It was uh, another man within the Brethren movement who had written a pamphlet which was considered very heretical. And then he retracted that. But because Miller had supported that man, people left his church because they thought that he supported that heresy which was then retracted by that man. So it was all based on lies and misunderstandings, but still he had to go through it. He had to deal with these doctrinal controversies. It was not an easy life. They had, again, famine. There were sicknesses, diseases. They had uh, their uh, pandemics of their own, just as Calvin had to deal with. But again, none of this is a reason not to trust God, not to ask of Him. Miller still went forth with the project. He wanted to build a house for the orphans. He continued to ask God, please provide, please send. And God did send all that they need, and even a little bit more than that. And the first orphan house could be built. But after the the first orphan house was built. What happened? Well, it filled up, of course, pretty quickly. So what do, do you do then? You build another house. So Mr. Miller this time realized, okay, it has to be bigger. We have to be able to house 400 orphans. And uh, we need more money, 30,000 pounds by this time. And he started asking for that. And sure enough, donation after donation came in, bigger and bigger from all kinds of sources, known sources, unknown sources, people from the other side of the planet. It is said it was one girl in New Zealand who heard about Mr. Miller, and then she wanted to send him something. So she sent about a shilling worth of money, and even that made its way to building the orphan houses. There were people all over the world who was moved by this this life of his, by his work, by his testimony. And they all provided. And then a third, of course, was built because, again, you have two houses, why not three? Then a fourth, then a fifth. So in the end, Miller cared for over 2,000 orphans at the same time. Over 2,000 was under his care. And all of their needs, their food, their clothes, their, their salaries for the staff, everything was provided for simply by an answer to prayer. No appeals, no advertisements, no emotional speeches, not sowing your seed into someone's ministry, as we heard Justin speak about, simply as an answer to prayer. Simply as an answer to prayer. But again, let us not only wonder at the numbers. It's easy to get carried away and think about, oh, how amazing. All these numbers, 2,000 orphans, thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of pounds that were donated. Fascinating. But let us not only wonder of that, on the numbers or at the numbers. Because... 
it was not only money that God provided. He did not only provide pounds. He did not only provide something which you can write down on a piece of paper and calculate. He provided in real and practical means and fashions. One example that I want to mention was when Miller first considered building an orphan house, and his sister-in-law was meeting an architect in London. And this, this architect had no idea that Miller was about to build an orphan house or anything, or anything like that. But as soon as he heard about it, he, was, he offered himself and he said, I will intend, superintend the building. I will draw up the plans. I will lead the work and I will do it free of charge because he understood that this is a work that is done for the glory of God. It is an eternal work. Yes, the work is, of course, temporal. The building stands there still to this day. This man and Mr. Miller is dead. But they laid up treasures in heaven. They wanted to contribute to the eternal living God and His kingdom. Do whatever they could do for His glory. And... uh, when the third house was built, the, uh, the company which provided all the, all the glass for the windows, they said, you know what? We'll do it free of charge. Take whatever you need. And it was a lot of windows, by the way. 350 large windows. Big expense. And they said, free of charge. You have it. You have it. And again, another example. This is one of the better known, if you have ever heard about one of these Amazing provisions in Mr. Mueller's life is uh, a story when, uh, when one, uh, one morning when the children were, were gathered for breakfast in the, the orphan house, the house number one, and the staff did not have any breakfast. Their, their, their uh, stores were, were empty. They had nothing, nothing to give to the children. And so they, they sent a message to, to Mr. Miller. Mr. Miller, we don't have any breakfast and the children are gathered. What will we do? Mr. Miller, in his normal fashion, got up. He walked over to the, to the um, dining hall and he bid the children to sit down. And then he thanked God that he would provide food for them. And uh, having prayed, there was a knock on the door. And there stood the breadman, and he said, my cart has broken, and I, I cannot, no, sorry, that was the milkman. The milkman said, my cart has broken, and my milk will be spoiled, but do you have need for milk? And Mr. Miller said, yes, actually, indeed, we do have need for milk. And so the children got milk. And then there was another knock at the door, and there stood the breadman, and he said, I could not sleep this night because God told me that the children needed bread. And so the children got bread. In amazing fashion, the Lord provided at the right moment, at just the moment when the children needed food, He provided that. But of course, not all the examples in Mr. Mueller's life included the orphans. He, had, he did other things as well. I, I talked about the... Uh, the institution, the scriptural knowledge institution, and later in his life, in Mr. Mueller's life, he went on preaching tours in really all of the world, he, almost to Finland. Didn't really make it to Finland. He was in Russia, but didn't make it to Finland. But in most parts of the world, he went to preach, and on one such occasion, he was about to, to speak or to preach in Quebec, in Canada. So by that time, you, when you went to Canada from here, or from England, you went by boat. There were no planes. And uh, they ran into thick fog. And that was a problem, of course. You don't want to run around in fog. You could run into rocks. You could run into other boats. So they had to slow down. They even had to stop and wait until the fog was cleared. And Mr. Mueller knew that, well, this can't do. I need to be in Quebec by this day, 
you need to keep going. And the captain was like, are you kidding me? There's fog outside. We can't go anywhere. Stupid Prussian. And uh, Miller, who of course wasn't stupid, he trusted God and he knew that God is the God of everything, including the weather. He said, let's pray. He got on his knees. He prayed to God, please remove the fog so that I can be in Quebec on time. And then he stood up and he said to the captain, look outside. And to his astonishment, the captain saw that all the fog had cleared. All the fog was gone. And they could continue their journey and, and they made it in, on time into Quebec. And Miller could speak there to all the, the people who had gathered. There are again many examples I could go on. I realize that I'm going over time now, but I could go on and on with these examples. Please, if you can, get your hands on a copy of Mr. Miller's life, on his autobiography or one of the biographies that is written on him. But just before we close again, I, a little bit of summary. In his lifetime, Mr. Muller received over 1.5 million pounds in donations. And if you translate that to today's money, that would be something over 200 million pounds or 250 million euros. Same thing in dollars. The often houses that Mr. Muller established, they cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. Mr. Muller's life ended in 1898. He died peacefully in his sleep. The Lord took him home. But his work still goes on, or the work that God did through Mr. Muller, through the orphan houses, through the, in, the scriptural knowledge institution, still goes on to this day. And again, let's not look merely at the numbers, at the orphans, at the, all the things, the physical things, but let's remember what the chief object of all of this was. In Miller's own words, let me quote, his chief object was the glory of God by giving a practical demonstration as to what could be accomplished simply through the instrumentality of prayer and faith in order thus to benefit the church of Christ at large and to lead careless, a careless world to see the reality of the things of God by showing them in this work that the living God is still as 4,000 years ago the living God. But the larger the work has grown, the greater has been the blessing, bestowed in the very way in which I looked for the blessing, for the attention of hundreds of thousands, thousands has been drawn to the work and many tens of thousands have come to see it. All this leads me to desire further and further to labor on in this way in order to bring yet greater glory to the name of the Lord. For the glory of God alone. That was the chief object of Mr. Miller's work, of his life. Beloveds, I don't want you to think that this is impossible. This is something that only happens through, through especially strong believers, those who have the, uh, the gift of faith, as it is called in 1 Corinthians 12. Let Mr. Miller respond to that. He said, It is the self-same faith which is found in every believer and the growth of which I am most sensible of to myself. For by little and little it has been increased for the last 43 years. Oh, I beseech you, 
Do not think me an extraordinary believer, having privileges above other of God's dear children, which they cannot have, nor look on my way as, uh, of acting as something that would not do for other believers. Make but trial. Do not stand still in the hour of trial. Sorry, do but stand still in the hour of trial, and you will see the help of God if you trust in Him. Make but trial. Trust in God. Live for the glory of God. This is not something that is unattainable for you. It is there for you. If you are a believer, if you trust in God, it is there for you. Again, remember the psalm we read at the beginning. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, it is with great delight we can look at a life such as George Miller's life and be reminded of your goodness, of your faithfulness, that you truly are a living God, a God who provides, the same God who we read of in the Bible. You are the God who never changes, the God who cannot change his promises. Oh, Lord, forgive our unbelief. We know that you want and you will give that which we desire. Help us to find delight in you, to delight in you. Help us, Lord, to believe you, to believe your word, to believe your promises, and to do it for the glory of your name. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.